the following is a text exchange which occurred between brothers on December 5th, 2021. 2.59 a.m. Uncombable hair syndrome appears to be a rare but real thing, and the images are amazing. That's bonkers. All blonde kiddos, it seems. I didn't even notice that. Well, the National Institutes of Health article does say silvery white or straw-colored hair. So there you go. Straight from the heartland, this is Things I Text My Brother. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Things I Text My Brother, a series of conversations which have taken place between the Brothers Driard on subjects spanning the neighborhood and the globe, which will hopefully leave you smarter, kinder, and better looking. Today we're going to jump off from that dramatic reading that you just heard and discuss the topics therein. Maybe we'll talk about genetically uncombable hair. Maybe we'll talk about blonde children. Maybe we'll talk about hairy black tongues or children getting their feet cut off. But we haven't plotted an exact course because we want you to join us on that journey. I'm Jeff. This is Brad. Let's talk about our texts. But before we try and style this tangled text into a presentable podcast, we need to take a look back because it's always important to make time to cleanse ourselves of our past sins and to continue our boundless quest for self-improvement through worthless information. Thus, it's time for ablutions and edification. Or, as it often is these days, maybe it's time for some adification. Brother Brad, what do we got? In episode 23, about Bouncy Boniem and Rasputin. Great episode. I was listening to a drag queen talking just the other day, and they said that they were inspired by the greats, such as people who came out of Eurovision and Celine Dion and Boniem. I thought you were going to say they were inspired by our podcast. Well, obviously. Uh, we briefly talked about, in that episode, we talked about cats with jobs. Well, I did anyway. Mm -hmm. I said I was generally uninterested in cats with jobs, which was and continues to be true. But I am interested in dogs with jobs, because I like dogs. Yeah. So this leads me to a story from February 2nd, 1908, in the New York Times. So it's a oh. real story. I had a friend who has access to the archives. Go and find the actual story, just to make sure it wasn't one of those fake stories on the internet. There are fake stories on the internet? Sometimes. Do the people who make our podcast know about this? I don't think so. Oh, okay. So on February 2nd, 1908, there was an article in the New York Times about a dog in the outskirts of Paris, France. The dog was renowned as a hero, having saved a small child from drowning in the Seine. Sometime after that dog saved the child, it started becoming a common experience for the dog to be saving children from the Seine on an almost daily basis. What a hero. I know, right? So fearing they had a serial attacker on their hands, the people in the area staked out the river. Mm. It turns out the dog was intentionally knocking unsuspecting children into the river so he could then save them from the river. Zutalors! Because he was getting lovely meaty treats from people for his heroics. What a smart dog! Yeah, so if not exactly a job, that is at least an exciting side hustle that anyone in today's gig economy could be proud of. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him, too. I love dogs. I like that he figured out that he could get treats, and I like that he was not actually hurting anyone. What was his name? It didn't give its name. Oh. Yeah. Well, here's to you, nameless French dog. Yeah. 
Well, Brother Brad, now that we've learned about dogs who are awesome from your edification, it's time to talk about humans again. You brought up the subject of uncombable hair syndrome. What are we going to talk about first? I want to be clear and state this very clearly at the front that I am not making fun of people who suffer from uncombable hair syndrome, at least not for having uncombable hair syndrome. Yeah, in the research, that was something I was noticing myself doing was picking topics and being like, am I making fun of this? I don't want to make fun of this. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll try and be careful about that. Yeah, I'm glad my kids didn't have to figure out how to deal with it as children. But I think mm. it's interesting, especially as it does not seem to be something that causes lifelong physical distress. It might cause some mental distress for some. But no, seems to go away once you get to adulthood. At least mostly. Yeah. So with that out of the way. For our listeners who have not yet taken the time to go look at images of kids with uncombable hair, you should. They are both interesting and neat. How would you describe them being as respectful as possible? Well, I mean, the easiest way to say it is if you've ever seen a picture of Einstein, that's kind yeah. of what these kids look like, except for the kids and not yeah. grown-ups with white hair. There are kids with silvery white or blonde hair that's caused by this genetic, not necessarily an abnormality, but genetic marker in their makeup that is different. And there appear to only be about 100 or so known cases of UHS in the world. Yeah, and they appear to inherit this thing. And like we were saying, for most of them, it does tend to become much less severe or even go away as they approach adulthood. But in the meantime, and especially these days in a social media era, once the parents are figuring it out and realizing that it's not particularly dangerous to their child's health, it's become something that they're kind of having fun with. And as long as the kids are cool with that, why not? Yeah, I read a couple of different articles about kids who have the syndrome that have kind of owned it as part of their personality and start to be disappointed when it kind of goes away because it's something that <laughs> sets them apart and they have it all their lives. But then it starts to lessen as they get into their teenage years, It's something about themselves that they have grown to enjoy and that other kids don't seem to have much trouble with it. It's mostly adults who walk up to these kids and ask if something's wrong or ask the parents if something's wrong, which is classic adult behavior. Adults are the worst. Yeah. But it's kind of cool to think of these people identifying so much with it that they're proud of it and, and would hate to lose it as a personality trait. I'm sad they'd have to lose it. But I guess you can probably do something to get your crazy hair back. You need to recreate it. I suppose you could. There are enough politicians historically that have had this hair. Politicians don't have the market cornered on bad, ah. crazy hair. But there have certainly been quite a few of them who have had it. That's for sure. I did spend some time looking to see if there was any correlation between crazy hair, not uncombable hair syndrome, but actual crazy hair, and dictators, evil dictators. Mm. I didn't really find a connection there other than there were a few who had some bad hair. I mean, Hitler's hair wasn't particularly great. No. And Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il both had some pretty crazy hair. <laughs> Best I could tell, Mussolini didn't have any. I didn't really look at Franco from his side. I didn't look at anybody from South America, Pinochet or anybody. I don't remember them having crazy hair. Fidel Castro's hair doesn't strike me as particularly crazy. Hmm. There really wasn't anything there. And then I was wondering if it was maybe just because in movies and TV, if there's a dictator, they tend to have crazy hair. Well, yeah, and I think we are prone to parodying dictators and corrupt leadership in general. And one of the main ways that we would parody them, I'm sure, is with appearance. So yeah. any minor physical thing that can be turned into like a bigger physical thing, we've been doing that ever since we've had images of people, I suppose. I didn't really bring any of the science to the table here. I don't know if you read any. I read it and I, I didn't understand any of it. Yeah, other than that, it's a genetic marker. 
something that is a little bit different in one of their genes. Yeah. So I didn't really spend too much time there, but they think that Einstein may have suffered from uncombable hair syndrome since we mentioned him, but can't really confirm without that genetic test. So it's hard to say. Speaking of Einstein, do you remember a movie from the 80s called Young Einstein with a dude named Yahoo Sirius? I remember there being a young Einstein. I don't remember the movie itself. And I do remember the name of a person called Yahoo Sirius. I remember being in the show, a farmer in Australia or something. And he ends up dating Marie Curie and stops a nuclear bomb attack in France or something. But other than that, and suing Yahoo, the search engine for (laughs) copyright infringement, I don't really remember him doing much. So I went on the internet, as you do. And I searched for him and I came to the official website of Yahoo Sirius, yahoosirius.com. Ooh. I didn't go any further and I didn't click on anything because it is possibly the most 1990s, early 2000 website in the history of websites. It still oh. looks like that. It's terrible. Is it on GeoCities? I didn't see it on GeoCities. I don't think it was on Tripod because it would have Tripod in it. Mm. My uh, we hate squirrels.tripod.com site that I had for a while when my home was under siege from squirrels mm. is no longer out there. But uh, yeah, it's a terrible website and it's really kind of scary. But it made me think about the fact that I have often connected UHF with Weird Al and Young Einstein in my mind. They kind of merged. They don't really have anything to do with each other. But there you have it. And after all that, we're talking about UHS today. Yes, we are. UHS, not UHF. But I was thinking of other people with hair that was interesting. Other people with hair? That was interesting. Oh. You know, you had someone like Carrot Top, who has done pretty well for himself in terms of career earnings, best I can tell. Mm -hmm. I can't say I remember much about him other than his signature hair, so that worked for him. I do remember him doing a comedy bit where he was telling a story about how he likes to go to Wendy's in the drive through lane to try to scare the employees because when he combs his hair in a certain way, he looks like the iconic Wendy's mascot for the restaurant. Oh, yeah. I was reading about how Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, always regretted picking one of his daughters and naming the restaurant after her. It wasn't her first name. I think it might have been her middle name, but she was burdened with that. Hmm. He felt bad about that. Well, I suppose. If you had a syndrome based on one of your body features, what would your syndrome be? Well, when I was a young lad and I was barefoot for about the first 10 years of my life, I had immeasurably thick skin on foot syndrome. I can see that. But I think I've worked through that. I probably suffer from tiny head syndrome because I feel like my head is too small for my shoulders. It's chock full of brains, mind you, but it is awkwardly sized. And I also have large ears. And you accent your small head and large ears by cropping your hair very closely. I suppose. But my wife tells me my weirdest thing is I have weird thumbs where I can bend my thumbs backwards at the top joint. Mm-hmm. So I have bendy thumb syndrome. Bendy thumb syndrome. Yeah. My thumbs don't stand up straight. If I stick them all out, the top joint of my thumb bends perpendicular to my thumb. Yeah, I'm looking at your thumbs as you talk about it. and Can you do that with your thumbs? I don't even know what we're talking about. Um, Oh, you see, you do. You have the same thumb issue I have, just not quite as pronounced. Well, for all we know, bendy thumb syndrome is one of the identified extremely rare diseases. And according to BeWellBuzz.com, there are 7,000 identified extremely rare diseases. Okay. And it's thought that 25 to 30 million Americans have one of the rare diseases. 25 to 30 million would be about 10%, just short of 10% of the population, right? We have 330 million. 
And the same article points out that although instances of each one of these 7,000 rare diseases is very small, but when you combine them all, that's a large total of Americans who have one of these rare diseases. So if these people with uncombable hair syndrome feel like they're not a part of a large group, well, in a way they are, not necessarily with their exact same issue. But there are a lot of people who are facing one of these rare diseases, even if it's a totally different one. Yeah. I hope you're not going to quiz me on what all 700 of them are, because I don't know. <laughs> no, because there's 7,000 of them. Uh, see, I, I don't even know how many there are. I did go through a couple of lists just to see what else is out there. So we have uncombable hair syndrome, which, by the way, has a great French name. Cheveux incoiffables. Incoiffables. Isn't that nice? Cheveux incoiffables. Or spun glass hair, or some other uh, words that I can't pronounce in other languages. Also, just the English unmanageable hair syndrome. We know that's out there. Here are some of the other rare diseases that people are dealing with. One of them is a water allergy. Did you know people could be allergic to water? I don't know that I knew it, but I guess I'm not surprised. So much so that if they drink or bathe or get into rain, they will get a painful burning rash. There are other people who have the rare disease known as. Citus inversus. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Do you know what they're dealing with? Inverted sight? Yeah, well, inverted something. They're people who are born with their organs on the wrong side of their body. Ah, yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, which is a genetic thing and is usually requires no treatment. So no big deal, I guess, as long as you have room for everything. I have heard that. Of course, I think many people are familiar with foreign accent syndrome, which is totally wild. You get it bumped on the head and you wake up speaking a different language or something. But the last one of these rare diseases, which is very treatable, I was careful not to pick ones that are nasty, which it's right. worth mentioning that many of these haven't had the resources put toward them that you would have with something very common. Right, right. So many of these rare diseases are very deadly. But one of them that can be treated with antibiotics is called, well, it has a Latin name, which translates directly to the name many people call it, which is black hairy tongue. So they actually have little hair follicles on their tongue? Here's something I'm going to encourage you and our listeners not to do. Don't do a Google image search for black hairy tongue. But you're going to because you kind of want to. I'm not going to. And it looks pretty much like what it says, but I did read a description about black hairy tongue on the Mayo Clinic website. It says, black hairy tongue is a temporary harmless oral condition that gives the tongue a dark, furry appearance. The distinct look usually results from a buildup of dead skin cells on the many tiny projections on the surface of the tongue that contain taste buds. These papillae, which are longer than normal, can easily trap and be stained by bacteria, yeast, tobacco, food, or other substances. Basically, you just end up with these things that look almost like black grains of rice growing on your tongue. Yeah. And even gets better if you see an image that was taken zoomed in. No, I don't think that would be better. <laughs> I don't think that's actually what you meant to say there. Well, one thing that came to my mind as I was thinking both about these diseases and about uncombable hair syndrome is that these diseases would have been around before people were starting to analyze them and interpret them. So... Uncombable hair syndrome doesn't seem like it was really identified until the early 1900s, but long before that, we already had people writing about it. And one of those people is Dr. Heinrich Hoffmann, a psychiatrist from Germany, who in the 1840s wrote a story basically to teach his children good behavior. And one of his characters seems to have been displaying, well, amongst other things, uncombable hair. And 
he titled this character Struvelpita. Have you heard of Struvelpita? Is that a Peter Strusel, some sort of dessert made out of Peters? No, Struvelpita is a guy, and I don't even know how to describe him. He looks like he has this crazy Afro puff of this uncoiffed golden hair on his head. He's wearing a jacket that also seems like a dress cinched at the middle. kind of looks like a Santa jacket. He has fingernails that are longer than his hands themselves. He looks kind of like Edward Scissorhands as well. And he's got these weird colored pants that cover his shoes. But this was a story, I was thinking, we've talked about German nursery rhymes and things before, but if we think about the early 1800s here in the United States, somebody who may or may not have been Clement Clark Moore was wanting to write a story for his children. So he writes A Visit from St. Nicholas, which we all know better as Twas the Night Before Christmas. What a lovely Christmas gift. But this guy, Dr. Heiner Kaufman, he notices in the 1840s that there's a lack of stories for children. He wanted to get one of his children a, a nice storybook for Christmas, and there wasn't one. So he ends up coming up with this book that has a handful of stories, and later on he adds a number more to it. But the first story in this collection is known as Struvelpita. And Struvelpita is in this Merry Stories and Funny Pictures collection. Great, so it's nice. Don't you like this? He's creating this storybook for his children because he's meeting a need that's out there that nobody else is doing. Writing lovely children's book with beautiful illustrations, right? This is all good. How Dr. Susian of him. Yeah, well, probably more Brothers Grimm. But mm. in the introduction to Merry Stories and Funny Pictures, or at least the English edition that came out several years after the original copy, here's what Heinrich Hoffman said if it's translated to English. When the children have been good, that is, be it understood, good at mealtimes, good at play, good all night and good all day, they shall have the pretty things Merry Christmas always brings. This is a nice story, right, Brad? So far, so good. Oh, you're, you're previewing what might come next. And the final half of this introduction says, Naughty, romping girls and boys tear their clothes and make a noise, spoil their pinafores and their frocks, and deserve no Christmas box. Such as these shall never look at this pretty picture book. Dun, dun, dun. So he's already threatening people saying, you cause trouble. You don't even get to look at the pretty picture book. But do you want to hear what he wrote about this character, Struvelpita? Did it have something to do with Santa being bones? <laughs> Santa is bones. Now, the Struvelpita story was one of the shortest in this collection. It might have been the shortest. It goes, just look at him. There he stands, with his nasty hair and hands. See, his nails are never cut. They are grimed as black as soot. And the sloven, I declare, never once has combed his hair. Anything to me is sweeter than to see shock-headed Peter. This is probably the nicest story in the whole thing. He's only making fun of this child for having crazy hair and for not cutting his fingernails. Do you think it's just a bad translation? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think so, because it seems like many people cite the original Struvelpita for being a pretty nasty character. And mm. if so, he would be certainly in place, because some of the other stories in this little collection are equally nasty. One of the stories is the dreadful story of Harriet and the Matches. What do you think happens to Harriet and the Matches? I think Harriet lights herself on fire. Yeah, this one is a bit too long to read the whole thing, but... Mama and the nurse warn the girl, you know, don't touch these matches that are on the counter. Right. And the cats are watching, and they're saying meow meow, and they're saying don't do this. But Harriet could not take advice. She lit a match. 
It was so nice. It crackled so. It burned so clear. Exactly like the picture here, because remember that these are all illustrated. Right. Then the cats are mocking her, saying basically don't do that. But it goes on to say, And see, oh, what a dreadful thing. The fire has caught her apron string. Her apron burns, her arms, her hair. She burns all over everywhere. And continuing ahead past what the cats think of this, it concludes with the next couple of stanzas. So she was burnt with all her clothes and arms and hands and eyes and nose till she had nothing more to lose except her little scarlet shoes and nothing else but these was found among her ashes on the ground. Isn't that nice? You know, kids in that era were just tougher yeah. than kids today, right? They could handle a story like that and see it as Mary. Yeah, Mary indeed. Dr. Hoffman suggested that this collection of stories was perfect for children from the ages of three to six. Like I said, a three-year-old then is a 22-year-old today. <laughs> and I was reading an article that was issued by the New York Public Library, and it talks about the phenomenon of maybe this being appropriate for children aged three to six back in the day, but not so much anymore. Jack Scherfkin wrote in this article, Today we would hardly consider Strulpita as amusing tales for young children, as they are <laughs> right. filled with violence and death. Yeah. A girl plays with matches and burns to death. Another child who won't stop sucking his thumbs has them cut off. A boy, named Augustus, by the way, you'll like this, refuses to eat his soup and starves to death. He's this chubby kid, and he gets sick of eating soup, so he refuses. And over the course of five days, he wears down to nothing, and he dies. But it goes on to mention that the violence that appears in Pita was not unusual for children's books from the 19th century, which you and I both know to be true. Yeah. He says, in the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, young people are battered, abused, abandoned, and murdered. Eyes are pecked out, hands are cut off, heads are chopped. In Hans Christian Andersen's Little Red Shoes, a poor girl is punished by having her feet sliced off. Did you read the collected Mary stories from Dr. Hoffman to your children when they were young? I didn't. But if you remember way back to episode one, when we talked about uh, Lucha Libre and 400 Mines, we talked about some different campaigns to educate people about things. Yeah. And we talked about a series of apps and games and a song called Dumb Ways to Die that really started out for train safety in Australia. Mm. So kids didn't get killed. Yeah. They talked about setting fire to your hair, poking a stick at a grizzly bear. There's something to the fact that you can make light of death with small children and they can take away the right meaning from it and not be scarred for life. So maybe the good author there, was he a doctor? Yeah, he was a psychiatrist. Maybe the good doctor there knew something about children, actually, and knew that they were capable of handling it. Yes, still a little a little harsh for the kids of today, but at that time, death and all that stuff was a much more constant part of life. So maybe they could handle it and did see the humor in it, I guess. Yeah, I guess. What do you think about naming diseases? Do you think disease names are better when they're descriptive, such as uncombable hair syndrome? You know exactly what you're dealing with there, or you at least have a pretty good idea. If a person has black, hairy tongue, and they stick out their tongue, and it's, it's pretty clear, black and, yeah. and hairy, it's pretty clear. But what if you had a disease like scrofula, or a disease like angel-shaped phalangeopyphyseal dysplasia? Do you prefer names that tell you exactly what the disease is? I do. Or do you think that a disease name is more impactful when it sounds like scary and menacing and indecipherable? I prefer my names to be descriptive so I know what I'm looking at. Like the 
bubonic plague. You get boobies all over your body, right? So you, mm-hmm. you know, you got a chicken pox, measles, mumps. Well, not measles, but mumps, chicken pox. They're things that you get. I get confused when you name something shingles because I don't really understand what shingles is. I know it's painful and no joke, mm. but I don't understand what it is. But then when you give something a name that doesn't make sense or it's not really what it is, it's very confusing to me. I I like to know, if possible, that the symptoms or the representation of the disease is the name of the disease. I much prefer that. Like consumption means something more than tuberculosis. Yeah, I guess so. So something I did learn is that there are many hairdressers out there who are also inventors who dabble in creative arts and scientific creation. And like to try and do things with human hair because, you know, that's the resource they have on hand. They have a lot of human hair laying around. Oh. They do weird things like human hair bikinis. Yeah, that's wholly unnecessary. And people said they were too itchy. That would make sense. <laughs> I can see that being a thing. I saw a person who creates furniture out of human hair. Nope, let's not do that. They believe it can replace fiberglass. It's strong enough. Oh, so they're just stuffing it with that. No, they're not stuffing it with it. It's made out of human hair. And there's some other stuff combined in it, but they think it could replace fiberglass chairs or plastic seating. Hmm. I guess I'd rather have a chair made out of hair than a chair made out of black hairy tongue. For sure, or made from skunks or whatever. But Mm. it's a fine line there. But there are also some really cool things. A former hairstylist named Phil McCrory has done quite a few things with hair trimmings. He's created some sort of hair mat where they matted together a whole bunch of hair, intertwined it, and they can use it as both a plant fertilizer. So if you plant it underneath the ground and the plant stems or seeds in it, it helps to fertilize the ground without using any chemicals and help grow. Yeah. And if you put it on top, it acts as a weed barrier. So you can use it either way, either to help grow or to prevent growth, Hmm. depending on what you want. So that's nice. I like it. But the more interesting one that I was reading about is he's tested out with NASA a way to use human hair in the cleanup process for oil spills. Now that seems like a great use. Yeah, so not only does it do an admirable job of cleaning up the oil, because of the natural qualities of hair, the oil doesn't go into it. It sticks to it. So once you've cleaned up the oil, you can reuse a large part of it. Not all of it, but a large percentage of it you can reclaim. So not only do they go out there and clean up this oil, but then they can somehow extract the oil from the hair itself and and reuse some of it. I love this idea. Sign me up. So this guy, Phil McCrory, I'm much more interested in what he's doing than the person who made a human hair bikini. That doesn't make much sense. (laughs) I did read someplace that someone paid $115,000 not too long ago for some of Elvis's hair. Yeah, I don't need to do that. Yeah, but it strikes me that it's similar to owning a piece of a saint or another relic in religion. So I guess it makes sense. There are people interested in hair from famous people. There's hero worship that way. Yeah, I could see a mid-20th century Helbstarka person wearing some of Elvis's hair framed into a giant hood or maybe just wrapped around his circle medallion of Elvis's face. Yeah, there's some pretty creepy relics out there, like skulls and things that people kept. Um, Yeah. But I don't know that I'd ever pay $115,000 or more for anyone's hair. No, I think I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, there is one man whose hair is so valuable that you couldn't put a price on it. He's our father, Art, and we're going to ask him some questions.
If you were in charge of awarding a Best Hair Lifetime Achievement Award to any person who has factored regularly in your life from birth until the present day, to whom would the award go? Any white guy with an afro. You don't have any specific person? Um, no, I, I can't think of it. Maybe, maybe Carrot Top. Carrot Top. Do you think that the German word Struwell Peter is the name of a medieval stew, a German metal band, a children's story, or a Teutonic character in an episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus? Sounds like a, a Monty Python character to me. Yeah. But it could be a stew. And uh, what would that character have been? Um, probably a cook. A cook. I like Swedish chef. Yeah. yeah. Do you prefer the names of diseases to be literal, such as uncombable hair syndrome or foreign accent syndrome? Or do you prefer classics with more cryptic names such as scrofula and consumption? I like the diseases that are named after, after people because I, I wonder, were they honored for having the disease or, or discovering it? <laughs> if you were to have come up with a name for a new syndrome, what would it be? Hmm. I think uh, probably uh, too dull to matter to anyone syndrome. <laughs> too dull to matter. Oh, that's a terrible syndrome to have. Uncombable hair syndrome is at least fantastic. Yeah, well, I think, yeah. I, I think possibly I am afflicted with too dull to matter syndrome. Well, well, Rick's friend Ed did not have too dull to matter syndrome. <laughs> no. That man had some interesting stories. No, that's true. Well, folks, now that we've heard from Father Art, it means that our time together is coming to an end for this episode. We've said just about everything we're prepared to say about Carrot Top, Yahoo Sirius, Twas the Night Before Christmas, Struvopita, Chevus en Quafabla, and Human Hair Swimwear. But fear not, just as soon as we can dig back into the archives and find another gem of a text exchange, there'll be another episode coming your way. In the meantime, you can head over to our Instagram page at Things I Text My Brother Podcast and drop us a note about what you liked, what you didn't like, or to tell us something we got totally wrong. You might even have enough time to go tell a friend, an enemy, and a total stranger to give us a listen as well. If you manage to do any of that, the fraternity of Driards will be forever grateful. But most importantly, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. I like, Burr, it's cold in here. There must be some Toros in the atmosphere. I like the the bang, bang, choo-choo train one, but I don't remember much about it. What were we doing up at 2.59 a.m. on a Sunday talking about this crap? Well, that's the whole point of our show, is it not? Cheveux en quoi fable. The following is a text exchange which occurred between brothers. Oh, I gotta close the door. Here comes Woody. Here comes Woody. Here comes Woody. Hi, baby. If you're coming in, you gotta take off the collar. Come here. Come here. Yeah, come here. If you gotta come in, you gotta take off the collar. Come on. Come here. He likes to listen to the show. He likes to listen to the show. He likes to listen to the show. I know that about you. Okay. <clears throat>
Woody made an admirable effort to get Cheryl to like him the other day. She met him? She's still a bit uh, perturbed about the attack on Bryn. So <laughs> she kept telling Woody no, and then eventually he slowly climbed up into her lap and just sat there for a long time. Well, that was a dangerous endeavor. Uh, going to bed, are you? It's the devil dog there. Yeah, he's there. He just came in for a visit. Hello, Woody! He fell asleep on my lap. Yeah, he fell asleep on show. It was lap. actually very sweet. He's just If he hadn't cutest. tried to murder my child, I might have even enjoyed it. She had it coming. She was guilty of being a youth. Apparently, yes. <laughs> Go to bed. Good night. Enjoy your hairless you want to see the Dungeons and Dragons characters that Bryn drew for her and Cheryl? There's Bryn's character. She's a wood elf ranger. Legolas. And this is Cheryl's character. She is a hill dwarf cleric. He's an oaf. Angie and Ethan are also going to play. Play what? Dungeons and Dragons with us. Who's the dungeon master? Me. Do you know how to do that? No, it's a lot of work as well. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it. Well, I'm looking forward to doing it. I don't know how good I'll be as a dungeon master. But <clears throat> Ethan says he knows how to play, but he doesn't have enough friends that are nerdy enough to actually have ever played. So he plays video games and listens to only Dungeons & Dragons podcasts while he works. Yeah, that's cool. 